dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. My next guest works for Canada's largest organization of craft cannabis brands. That's all I have to say about it. Pasha Brands is the name, and I'm here with the Chief Communications and Culture Officer, Jamie Shaw. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So let's go ahead and talk first of all about uh, Pasha Brands. It believes in quality, not quantity, and envisions the future where the artisans of prevention, prohibition-era cannabis are given an equal opportunity to flourish in legal markets around the world. World, excuse me. Take me inside what you exactly what what Pasha Brands is able to do for the industry in this uh, mission statement. Absolutely. So um, Canada very recently introduced a, a micro cultivator license program and microprocessor uh, licenses because up until now, it's actually just the, the legal companies have been very, very large companies that have been scaling up from the beginning, um, mostly publicly traded companies. So their focus has been there. Um, we pushed really hard as activists to get micros um, as a possibility in the first place because when the, with the black market or the gray market that existed before um, and still exists, everything's a lot more local. There are local growers. Growers can talk to patients, for example, and connect with them and start developing strains specifically for them. Um, we're not seeing that with the large model that legalization in Canada has, has brought forth so far. Um, so Pasha Brands is, uh, we're a prohibition era brand house where we're um, taking prohibition era brands and growers and people and moving them into the legal marketplace, mostly through the micro licenses, but as a publicly traded company, we're allowed to then kind of have the same, we can get these smaller growers to market with the same power and force that the large companies have. Now, let's get into the meat of it. One of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's justifications, Canadian Prime Minister, of course, who is up for election now, I know in about a week and a half or so, the uh, voters of Canada will decide um, if the, one of the things that was appreciated by Prime Minister Trudeau of legalizing cannabis in Canada was uh, something that people really uh, responded well to. Well, his justifications for legalizing adult-use cannabis was choking out the black market. Regulated alternatives to black market weed would, in theory, draw customers away from the criminal organizations selling it. Similar ideas ended alcohol prohibition in North America. Trudeau's government has been publicly adamant about shutting the door firmly in the place of illicit operators looking to gain a foothold in the regulated market. Now, Pasha Brands has acquired and cultivated formerly illegal companies for the regulated market. Your executive chairman, Patrick Brockman, said that the new regulated industry didn't have any connection with the West Coast's long-standing illicit market and highly experienced growers who were left out of Canada's regularization regime entirely. He said, quote, the government obviously knew that prohibition wasn't working and it was bad for people, so they came up with the legalization. But legalization excluded all the original industry founders because it didn't allow them a connection with the regulated industry because they had been previously involved in illegal activity. 
Talk to me about this direction to bring formerly illegal companies into the fold and the government's misunderstanding. Yeah, so I mean, I think part of this is, you know, that there's been some waffling on the soundbite about eliminating the black market. Um, in many instances, they've clearly said, well, we want to transition them into the system. Most of the regulations have not actually been designed to transition people into the system. Um, there have been some examples of some people that have, but they've usually, much like Tasha, had to kind of find a, a different route um, to do so. Here in British Columbia in particular, the province is very is lagging very far behind other provinces when it comes to legal cannabis, but it's because again we have a large existing industry and not enough is being done to bring that industry in. So I mean our our entire position is that you're not going to eliminate something, you can transition it. So if you don't want black market growers anymore, make them follow rules, then you don't have black market growers. Um, so I think that that's a, a fundamental principle of where we're coming from. Um, it's also a matter of, you know, the people with the experience are the people that certain levels of government are trying to keep out. Um, so again, to kind of go back to the British Columbia example, here in BC, our province has been pretty open about, you know, we're, they're not cracking down on enforcement yet. Um, they're, they're not really rolling out a ton of legal stores because they want to make sure that they've given time to the local industry to actually get through this regulatory process. Then you've got a place like Alberta that didn't really have that large of an illicit market to begin with, um, who have been very adamant that no one from the illicit market will get into their system. So there's some differences from province to province, even municipality to municipality. Since legalization, illegal prices have fallen 12%, legal prices have gained 4.9%. Even with that decline, the price cap has allowed the black market to retain, retain a robust share of Canada's cannabis, Canada's cannabis market with 42% of cannabis consumers in a poll saying they were at least purchased at least some of their cannabis from illegal growers from the previous, uh, from over the summer. So I don't know how much to weigh that poll because first of all, I mean, what the media tells me, what polls tell me do not represent everybody, but it's a matter of that I, I still see in my own, from all of the things I've been reading about, it's still a problem and that it, what I think is what you're doing, what Posh is doing is, is much better because of the fact that, you know, just because previous rules might've been put a certain way, doesn't mean that first of all, A, these growers and these people that are producing are not putting a good product. They just happen to do it during a time when it was not allowed or it was not regulated properly. Mm -hmm. And second, that they're able to go and put something out there that has a reputation already. And if it does get adjusted to a brand like Pasha, then why wouldn't it, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's our philosophy. Um, you know, we, it's also about knowledge and expertise, right? And so uh, with the, the poll question, it, it's difficult, especially in Canada, where, you know, like the United States, we're a very, very large country, um, where the experiences of people in one province really do not relate at all to the experiences of people in another province. So again, the BC example, um, we've had a, a very long time, you know, a 40, 50 year old industry here uh, that actually forms a large part of, of the underground economy um, and of the economy in general. And because it's been illegal this whole time, that stuff hasn't really been tracked. What we've seen with legalization is a lot of bigger companies opening up um, in Ontario and in Toronto, closer to Bay Street, our version of Wall Street, um, and really kind of focus on investment, which, 
you know, is now is now proving out to be the way most of us have said all along. I mean, there's there's hype and then there's talent, and uh, you know, our money's always been on the talent. Oh, I was actually catching uh, some clips on YouTube of the Canadian leaders debate, which I think was happening earlier this week or last week. And just mm-hmm. get a feeling of the Canadian market, just the, the citizens of citizenry of Canada in general, and where it's way different than what it is in the United States when it comes to how, like you said, prov- provinces are honestly their their own individual countries in some cases, just of the representation they have. So to try to create this legalization and make it lockstep with the entire country has been tough, and that there are just certain people that are well and there are certain places and we want to talk about that because um in the farming sectors of canada there's really just a lot that's being said about micro micro cultivator licenses we're going to talk about that here with jamie shaw chief communications and culture officer at pasha brands about more about that and more here on blunt business after a short break rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more blunt business Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really One Toke Over the Line. And I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We are back with Jamie Shaw, Chief Communications and Culture Officer at Pasha Brands here on Blunt Business. TheGrowthOp.com recently reported that with up to 85% of Canadian cannabis still coming from the gray market, 
Micros or micro cultivations play a key role in an underperforming supply chain. Now, Pasha Brand subsidiary BC Craft Supply Companies announced that over 100 microcultivator applicants or micros has, across Canada are currently receiving his help as the company attempts to transition out of the grain market. The security and operational requirements are less stringent than the larger cultivation production facilities, which fall under a st standard cultivation license, making this a very attractive opportunity for small business entrepreneurs. This is very important. I want listeners to go and get this. And before I ask you a question about this, Jamie, I want to put some context out there and explain to listeners the micro cultivation license. Okay. It mm -hmm. permits 200 square meters around 2,152 square feet of total canopy space, including multiple services. It can be either indoors, greenhouse or warehouse, or outdoors, farming. Historically, small cultivation businesses were, were been permitted under the identical license as a very large business, which meant that the staffing and operational requirements made it a cost prohibitive venture. Now with the microcultivation license, small business owners can run a lean operation with minimal staff and security. It is expected to spark a new revolution in craft cannabis production in Canada. Only one license is permitted per unique address. However, in theory, a larger facility with its unique addresses for different sections could acquire a license per section similar to different warehouse bays within a larger warehouse facility. This MCL allows a facility to cultivate cannabis and sell wholesale license to, to a licensed third party, allows a direct sale to provincial distributors, fresh, live plants or seeds only, for example, other licensed processors that do dried flower oil, licensed retailers or direct with the medical patients who hold a medical document provided by the healthcare practitioner. To supply the provincial retail supply chains, a microcultivation license, uh, the application has to be thoroughly and professionally drafted, submitted to Health Canada for review, access and details of the facility and operations are required, including but not limited to a professional floor site, for floor plan site, physical security design, so many different regulations that go behind this. The time frame to acquire this type of license does not fall within a performance target, but historically access to cannabis for medical purposes regulations applications, or ACMPR, were at a minimum of 18 months from application to license. That's a lot of time to wait for this, especially if you're a small grower trying to be a small business entrepreneur. Tens of thousands of gray market cannabis producers coast to coast still supply as much as 85% of the can cannabis Canadians are consuming. It is with quality, freshness, and availability have plagued legalization so far as industrial cannabis producers strive to grow mass quantities of cannabis. Prices for limited supplies for small batch craft cannabis flowers sold through online provincial cannabis re retailers are now exceeding $20 per gram. Little has been done on the impact on local companies and not just these farmers. So with that said, uh, talk to me about what you've been doing first of all with BC Craft Supply and the accumulation of microcultivator applicants. I put a lot out there, but I wanted to get the explanation out there first before we <laughs> talked about it. Yeah, and, and just to kind of, uh, for a visual example, when the, when the regulations came out to explain how big a micro uh, license could be their growing area, um, Health Canada put out a diagram of a hockey rink, um, and the growing size is um, from blue line to blue line and about half the rink. Um, so it's sort of a visual reference for, for how big these micros actually will be. Um, and yes, as you pointed out, there's been a long wait. Um, we do have a, a supply agreements with 100 um, applicants. 
Uh, we've also got signed agreements with uh, five or six of the seven or eight that have already received licenses. Uh, those only started coming in uh, about a month ago. So we're hoping to see more as they start kind of ramping up. But as you point out, there's a long time uh, wait. They've also recently decided that you now have to have your building up um, before you can even apply, which now means more upfront costs and a longer wait before you can even actually put an application in. So that's been difficult. And then, of course, we've got multiple layers of government that are all coming in and making this more and more difficult. So in, in BC, we, you know, not only do you have the uh, municipalities, there's also the Agricultural Land Commission that's decided that, you know, um, they don't want farmers to be able to supplement their existing crops with cannabis. Um, and there's just been a lot of regulatory issues and, and burdens and um, barriers for bringing these small small growers to the market. So um, we're, we're getting there, we're doing it, so it's nice to see that it's coming, um, but, it's, but it's been a long haul, particularly for small private businesses. It's a lot to unpack when you're trying to understand this, because this is not anything that's anywhere else but Canada doing this, if I'm correct. And so, yeah. and the thing is, I just, well, in my own personal opinion, I just feel like this is having to be a workaround because the legalization that was put in place, there's so many obstacles behind this. Is that pretty much the reason why this that's, is? Go ahead. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a very accurate take. Um, you know, we were seeing people being left behind. Meanwhile, you know, people like police officers and, and former drug enforcement agencies um, were taking the leadership at these large companies that seem to mostly be about stock. Um, they're putting out mass-produced uh, products, partially because of testing regulations and storage regulations, and then all of the provinces decided they were going to be brokers. Most of them are actually using warehouses, which is sort of obsolete technology anyway, but adds more time to the to the um, shelf life of a product or, or means it's sitting around longer. Um, what we're going to be able to do very, very shortly, um, and unfortunately, because of nuances in different provincial regulations. This won't be in British Columbia. It'll actually be Saskatchewan, sort of the, the least, um, you know, the, the, the least thought of to really kind of take the lead in this business. We're going to be able to bring locally grown cannabis, processed locally, sold through local retailers um, to Canadian consumers within a few months. Um, and it will by far be the freshest cannabis available in the legal marketplace. And it's the closest to what people are actually used to, to a grower growing a crop and having it processed and sold locally and purchased locally. And I bring this across once again, all of you listeners here in the States, please look at what Canada's doing. There are things that, listen, first of all, I like the instinctiveness and the forward thinking and really just being smarter than law enforcement and government on figuring out ways to get your products sold and distributed to market. I have to tell you, because a lot of supplies out there, they always talk about, well, the demand's out there, but the, just getting it to the demand is a problem. And there's so much supply being built out there. And this is another way of going it. Just going to a press release, being talking about it, where um, with Canada's current licensed cannabis producers only able to supply an estimated 15% of what Canadians are consuming, your company's optimistic that yet yeah, another new supply, well, there's a lot of supply agreements you're signing anyway, and that it will help correct mm -hmm. the cannabis supply and balance. Now, each microcultivator will be allow, is allowed to produce approximately 500 kilograms of cannabis per year. 
and there's tens of thousands of craft producers operating in the illicit cannabis market. And we mentioned BC Craft, they're focused on helping as many small farmers transition into the regulated market. It's really, that's, it's such a burden because you have to go ahead and you're like a 7-Eleven of cannabis. You have to work with all these smaller, these smaller cultivators when you really want to just be able to have it in one big warehouse, put a large supply and not have to micromanage thousands of micro cultivators. Well, and I mean, I think this, again, is kind of indicative of our approach. I mean, I liked what you said at the beginning of your comments about um, finding workarounds. I mean, that, that's the only reason we even have legalization in Canada is because um, people in our community have been doing that for a very, very long time. Um, you know, we've also been asking for legalization. So it's been sort of a slap in the face that when it comes, it doesn't really include us nor is it actually based on best practices around cultivating cannabis. Um, a, the, a lot of the, the regulations are a patchwork where in some places cannabis is treated like, like it's alcohol, in other places it's treated like it's tobacco, in other places it's treated like it's a, it's a pharmaceutical. Um, and we're right now getting the worst of all three of those industries' regulations. Um, you know, meanwhile, Glenn Livett's putting out, you know, cocktail capsules. Um, so it's been a bit of a challenge, uh, for sure. Uh, for us, that's where our passion is, though. We really don't want to be growing warehouses full of cannabis. And we think that's where a lot of the problems are coming from in the first place. People are building facilities here in Canada at a scale that no one has ever grown cannabis inside at that scale in the history of the world. Um, and they're wondering why they're having problems or why the quality is not that great. Um, some of the other regulations around um, what they consider cleanliness uh, actually inhibits people from using live soil, for example, um, because they're not really differentiating between good microbes and bad microbes. Um, so if you were an organic live soil grower, most of your crop will probably not pass. Um, even though it's perfectly fine. In fact, probably better. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, it, it is definitely a lot of work, um, but it's our passion. It's, it's the way that we think, it's the only way we think legalization is going to work. It's amazing. Now we're recording this show six days before the first anniversary of full adult use legalization in uh, the great country of Canada to the north of us. Uh, there's a government funded study that in 2018 estimated Canada's total cannabis consumption was roughly 926,000 kilograms annually or 77,000 kilograms monthly. Health Canada says June 2018, um, it represented 9% of national demand. And now all those legal sales have tripled, but illegal sales remain the majority. And one thing that also noticed, which is an interesting story when it comes to Canada, is that uh, there was a survey that was put out from the University of Northern British Columbia that mentioned that only 10% of cannabis users consumed majority of cannabis in 2018. So my thing is, you're creating on the product, you're making all the right choices to get it done. But one year later, it's still hard to get your hands on legal cannabis. I mean, why is that? Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think part of that is because it, it, it's not that it's that hard. Um, in some places it is, you know, Ontario is kind of keeps um, taking flack for not rolling out more retail stores, but they have an online platform that you can order. Yes, there's certain things that are, are sold out a lot. I think that's been a major issue if you're looking for certain products. 
Um, another factor there is that we have not fixed our medical system at all, and nor have we discussed it while we're doing, while we've been working on recreational, which is also another reason why the black market continues to thrive because it's taking care of patients the way that it always has. Um, and there really isn't an alternative. If you're from a community that is like Vancouver or Victoria or BC cities that, that has a large black market, in some parts of Canada and Northern Ontario that never had that in the first place. So it's an improvement for them. Um, but if you're here in Vancouver, we've got, I think we're up to three legal retailers now. We're still sitting at around 50 illegal retailers. Um, and the illegal retailers are a lot busier, particularly with consumers that are in the know. Um, legal retailers do a lot of business with um, novelty, people going, hey, I can go buy legal cannabis now. They've not smoked it. They've not used it because it's been illegal. Um, so that's really where some of their business is coming from. The bigger issue right now is quality. Most people that are trying uh, legal cannabis that have any experience with cannabis are not impressed with the quality. It, it is not the same. And there's multiple reasons for that. Um, but now we're also getting, recently there was a pencil in, in a pre-roll that somebody bought from the legal system. There were nuts and bolts in a uh, flower uh, that somebody had purchased from the legal system. That kind of thing doesn't happen in the black market. If it happened once, everybody would be going to that store and complaining or they'd never go to that store again. The store would be able to kind of do some research and find out how that happened. Under the legal system, they can't. They get a package from from the government, usually the provincial government, unless it's Saskatchewan, um, the provincial government bought it from a licensed producer. They never looked at it. Nobody ever looked at it since it left the facility. Um, so that's been a problem too. There's been um, checks and balances that existed in the black market and exist in other industries don't exist in, in the legal industry that's been created right now. The other problem too is that with the different part of the market, which I mean, this is probably one of the things you definitely look at for a lot, just looking at the province of Saskatchewan, Statistics Canada just put on a new survey talking about how from pre-legalization to post-legalization, the prices have gone up per gram. And yeah. again, you might give me the good quality, but again, it's a fight to go ahead and make people say, well, why are we going after the legal pot or legal uh, cannabis when it is starting to it's said in a story? I don't like saying the word pot, but because of the fact that you know, the prices are going up, you know, again, the lower, more quality, uh, they, they might just, there's going to be people that are going to sacrifice price over quality. And it's happening still, even when a story like that today. Absolutely. And, and I think that was one of the mistakes that Canada made um, before legalization. Um, our previous prime minister, Stephen Harper, um, due to multiple court losses that kept saying the government had to provide medical access to cannabis, continued to tell them to look at the dispensary model. They did everything they could to not do that. So what they ended up sort of bringing out was this idea of large publicly traded companies that, that would be using the stock market to finance their operations. Well, it, it, it starts off not being about cannabis and it never really is about cannabis for the majority of these companies. It becomes about bottom line. And of course, the way that you improve that is to start mass producing things. But as we've seen in pretty much every other field of agriculture, that sort of monolithic style of agriculture doesn't work. We're, we're encouraged to now go buy local. We're encouraged to lower our footprint by buying local, uh, that it's better quality by buying local, that it improves the economy by buying local. And then we've ignored all of that when it comes to cannabis. It's amazing. 
We're going to talk more with Jimmy Shaw. He's Chief Communications and Culture Officer at Pasha Brands. Back with final questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone, gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little, your empire grows large Put different celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all-natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Final Questions with Jamie Shaw, Chief Communications and Culture Officer at Pasha Brands. Let's talk about prospective applicants looking to join the cannabis industry, which uh, we had a chance to hear you talk about. And when it, regarding skills and quality sought from prospective employees in the cannabis industry, you said, quote, we look for qualities reflected in our values. We're still forging past it as an industry, so we want people who can think outside the box while acting with integrity and passion. Good attitude towards cannabis helps. You don't have to partake. We should have a healthy respect for the plant and for the people who's kept its knowledge. Take me more into the skill sets and mindsets that business owners should be looking for if they're looking to hire these days. Well, I mean, I think it drastically depends on what you already have in place. So everybody's so drastically different right now. Um, some some people and, and organizations are really good at adapting to regulations and understanding them and implementing them. Um, other organizations have a really hard time with that. So I think it, it you know it first of all kind of starts with where who you are and where you're coming from. Um, for us, obviously, we've got a lot of people that know regulations very well. We've got uh, former city councilors that wrote dispensary bylaws from before 
uh, cannabis was legal. Um, I myself got licenses in uh, Vancouver and a bunch of other BC cities a couple of years before legalization came in. Um, so some of us, we're, we're really strong on that. Um, and we, we combined with people from the finance world um, because, again, we're trying to get the same sort of uh, um, power and market voice for our micros um, that the large companies have. So, I mean, I think it really kind of depends on, on where you're at and where you're going. What we've seen with a lot of the large companies here is they're bringing in people from other industries, which makes sense um, for some skill sets. But we're also seeing them make a lot of mistakes because those people are then put in charge of people that know about cannabis rather than the other way around. Um, so I think I think integration with what you already have is extremely important. Um, and I think it's really important that you know cannabis, that you have an understanding of cannabis, or at least that um, a, a mass group of people in your company do. Very good. There's so much we learned off of this. I, early, the idea of microcultivation licenses, again, there's just certain things that, uh, that all of you in Canada are able to go and do. And that honestly, it's a lot for us in America to go ahead and learn from because if legalization comes in someday, I mean, first of all, I think the most important thing is just that the craft uh, business of cannabis that you're definitely, the posture brands is definitely well entrenched into is a great setup. Some other companies are finding another way to go and work their way around where, you know, you have to be creative and there's just got to be ways where uh, on the same way, you know, the kind of people that you need to bring on board, they also need to be understanding, well, listen, we have to think outside of the box because of look at the, Look at the market that we're dealing with right now. I mean, we might have certain mm -hmm. um, advantages that the market has now in Canada that the U.S. doesn't have and other countries, but we still, this was not done perfect. I mean, you know, credit to pr no. for, for Prime Minister Trudeau for, in, for creating the legalization, but it could have been done better. I think everybody can agree with that. It could have been implemented much better. So it's a matter Absolutely. of working around the system and... Um, trying to get the system to be corrected and fixed. And I don't know, as, at this point, we don't know who's going to win the election coming up and what Parliament's going to look like coming up in Canada uh, as we record this show. We'll know in a couple of weeks, but obviously everybody will know by the time they hear this show, they'll know what it's like. But I'm really curious mm -hmm. as to why, how things get changed around. But you got a good plan over there, Pasha Brands. Real quickly, how can we learn more about what Pasha Brands doing, everything about MCLs, the people that you're working with, because obviously Pasha Brands is in the news all the time. You're publicly traded. Tell us about where they can find more, where they can invest, social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, so um, PashaBrands.com um, is the, the website. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram under the same handle. Um, our uh, stock ticker on the CSE is CRFT. Um, so it's craft. Uh, you can find that very easily. We're listed on the CSE. We're also listed on the Frankfurt Exchange. Um, so yeah, we're 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 around. We're not too hard to find. <laughs> exactly. Well, I do appreciate you making time to talk to us again. This is really great, Jamie Shaw, Chief Communications and Culture Officer at Pasha Brands. Thanks for making time to join us here on Blunt Business. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. So again, uh, thanks again to Jamie Shaw. Thanks for all of you listening. Again. Um, give me the website one more time there, Jamie. www.pashabrands.com. Thank you so much. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on Blonde Business. You can download past episodes by going to CannabisRadio.com. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.